Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karam. Tune in and enjoy. You're listening to Rowan Prant Method, where we talk all things fitness, well-being, performance, mindset, and lifestyle design so that you can live a high-performance life. And it looks like we're actually going to change that because, you know what, I'm probably just going to have people on that are you know, experts or have a background in things that I'm interested in learning about. So that's pretty much the direction we're going to be going. So I will figure out a new intro moving forward. Today's episode, we have Glenn Munzo and Jason Rantel, both working in the mental health space, both working with addiction, working with many, many, I guess, taboo subjects that a lot of people have experienced at some point in their life, and they're both absolute legends. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. No worries. So guys, you... Uh, you've both come on the show before. I think, Glenn, you were episode seven. Absolutely loved it. Jason, you are episode 17. and The sevens. Yeah, yeah. That's something. <laughs> synchronicities right there. And it's great to have you both on now together. On the and, 27th. On, is it really? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you have me there, man. You have me. That would have been epic. We planned it. But uh, no, I think it's the first, isn't it? I should have just waited for another seven days. But... Yeah, we've, we all spoke recently at Glenn's event, uh, Mental Health and Addiction Fundraiser. Glenn, tell us about the event. Um, yeah, so we had the event uh, last week um, and, yeah, it was just all about raising awareness for mental health and addiction. Um, yeah, so we had 120 people there. We sold out with the tickets, um, which is awesome. And, yeah, had you guys speaking um, about your journeys of, you know, um, mental health um, struggles and strategies. Um, yeah, so it was a really... Yeah, got some lots of good feedback and yeah. It was an exceptional event, man. I've worked in the event management space and you did amazing, particularly like on any standard. For a first event, I don't think you possibly could do any better than that. So curious to see where you take it because you set the standard really high. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's definitely um gonna be hard to match, but yeah. Oh, we'll do it. You'll do it, man. You'll do it. So Jason, we were just talking before about this uh, again for everyone, this is we haven't really got a plan for this. Bear with me, technical difficulties. Gotta love that, technical difficulties with a phone caller. Uh, Yeah, so we're just gonna have a bit of spitball ideas and discuss things to do with mental health and addiction and change and behavior change and overcoming, um, I guess, adversity. So Jason, we were talking before about the victim mentality and that people get trapped in it. And it's something that we've all been in at some point in our lives and we work with clients to be in the same position. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about your views on that? Well, I lived in the victim mentality for up until 44 years of age. So um, it's, I suppose it's easy to push the blame outside of you uh, than to actually have a look at what's going inside. Because if you actually have a look at what's going inside and take some of the blame on yourself, I suppose, then you have to do something about it. So it's sometimes easier to push it off. Um, I did that for, like I said, 44 years. It didn't hold me in good stead at all. It kept me addicted. It kept me um, in the mental health system. Uh, it kept me going around in circles. It kept me feeling one way thinking and other way thinking, feeling and in that cycle. So um, when I looked outside of, I mean, what what happens to us isn't always our, our choice or, or our fault. But the way we react to it and the way we use it in going forward is 100% up to us. So we can either be a victim and be stuck in it for years and years and let it eat us alive and, and, and have that, that episode or whatever happened, that challenge, keep challenging us for the rest of our life and keep us from achieving what we want to achieve. Or we can look at it and go, right, what can I learn from this? Where can I go from this? And what can I take from this to move forward? And I suppose it took me 44 years to understand that. And when I looked at myself and went, okay, I've made these choices. Yes, I've had things happen in my life, but the choices I've made after those have kept me where I am. And that's drinking, um, partying, reckless behaviour, eating shit, treating, uh, treating my body like a trash can. And when I, when I wanted to change, I looked and said, okay, what do I need to do? Well, I can't keep doing this if I want change because I can't be healthy and eat shit. I can't be healthy and get pissed. I can't be healthy and smoke cigarettes. Okay, well, what's a healthy person look like? What do I have to do? So then I suppose I looked at it and went, I need to do these things. And once I started to change and do those things, lo and behold, my life started to change. Mm-hmm. So then it was like, well, hang on. All these things that happened to me. And now I'm using the very things that happened to me that I actually was addicted to because of and uh, had attempts on my life because of, now I'm using those exact same things, those exact same circumstances to grow and be the person I am. Mm. So it's the way I look at my challenges and then how I act outside of those is what holds me in or gets me out. 
Yeah, amazing. How about you, Glenn? I know you've had an. Uh, I absolutely loved hearing your stories. First time I really got to hear it. Other night yep. your event was cool. Loved art, particularly about the the guy from your fitness journey. Yeah, that. Yeah, we all Andrew. have those people that stand out. <laughs> I'll have to get to that later. But tell us about yourself. Like in terms of that victim mentality, because I think you were in it as well at some point where everything it was everyone else's fault. You were describing in your speech. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think you know one of the biggest important things of you know I guess transformation is dropping that victim mentality and, and owning having owning ownership of your of your life um to move forward you know I, for me it was always everyone else's fault mm. apart from myself um you know even when you know i ended up in serious altercations with police you know it was police's fault um you know when i got sentenced to jails like it was a corrupt system um, when I was in the system, it was a shit system and, and it was always, you know, everyone else's fault, you know, the drug and alcohol counselling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it was always someone else's fault and it was never mine. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially with drugs, it, it's like, you know, that's, that's the main thing you always hear. It's, it's, you know, it's this person's fault or it's the system or the government or, you know, whatever. Um, but to make that true change, you've got to like you know own your story and drop that victim mentality and and really push forward because at the end of the day, like it, it's on you to save yourself from that. So a hundred percent, man, and pretty much even myself, even in the past when I had issues with anger and things as a young person. Not saying that I'm not a young person now, but when I was a lot younger, it was always everyone else's fault that, like, you'd flip your shit or whatever, or yeah. you'd go to a bad coping strategy, or you couldn't do the right things, or you'd self destruct. It was always, it was never my fault. It was mm. always someone else's. They did something, and that's why I did what I did. Yeah. And then you're just blowing in the wind. You're just responding to things all the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You, yeah. You, just, you have to, if you want to get better, if you want to get your life to where it, needs to be there has to be ownership and with ownership you need to drop the victim and take full responsibility for where you're at and where you're going as well yeah. that's it sounds good in theory and we all we've all been through it ourselves but mm. for jason what was that point for you where it actually you made that switch where it actually you actually decide you know what this is all on me i'm actually gonna take some action yep. and change my life what happened yeah uh, unfortunately for me it was uh getting to a point where i couldn't tolerate it anymore well we can tolerate things um while we tolerate things, we allow them. And when we stop tolerating, um, I was forced, really, I suppose you'd say. Uh, my wife gave me an ultimatum that change or we're done, which is pretty harsh reality when you're faced with it. And you can, then you've got a choice, haven't you? You can go, right, I'll keep going down this path or I'll change. But um, I want to tell people they don't have to get to that rock bottom yeah. because I, I don't like people thinking, and you hear it so often, you have to hit rock bottom before you can come up. That is an absolute crock. You yeah. don't have to hit rock bottom. You can you can find your way in good times and and. Um, I, I, I think resilience is another thing that people look at too. Right? And they say that you need to go through challenges to build resilience. You need to go through hardships. That, that's not true either. You, you can go through hardships as long as you learn that builds resilience, but if you stay in it, there's no resilience being yeah. built there. But I like to think of building resilience as in doing healthy things, living a healthy lifestyle, lifestyle choices every day because that builds resilience. Let's face it, if I'm more able physically and mentally, then when challenges come, I'm more able to... Um, uh, look after myself and get through those challenges. But if I'm unhealthy physically and mentally and a challenge comes, well, I haven't got the resources, I haven't got the skills, I haven't got the, the strength to, to go through that. So I was put in, in that position, but I want people to know you don't have to get to rock bottom. So um, I had a choice. Well, I've said, uh, not good. We just had our little bloke, River. He's now six. Yeah, six. So he has never seen a smoking or drinking dad. So there you go. That's the only one of my children who's seen that. Um, and 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 on that, the cha- cha- the differences with him as a little bloke, and unfortunately, my older children uh, at a young age, he's so much more emotionally stable and 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 more um, sociable. And there's you can see differences. Yeah, monkey see, monkey do. Um, so yeah, she at, at that time she said, I can't deal with this anymore. Um, I, I know you have your mental health challenges, your bipolar, so forth. But things need to change. So, I that day I said uh, last episode that um, I decided to, I don't know why to quit smoking and start running the next day. <laughs> two things that are very polar opposite, aren't they? <laughs> you don't usually run and smoke. So uh, I was still drinking, but yeah, I made that decision and um, I stuck with it. 
and like it started there but then when you do something good for yourself you actually prove to yourself because remember when you're an addict and 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 mental health challenge you haven't got very much self-esteem or self-worth i mean Mm. you're you're not going to tip things into your body that are not good for you if you've got self-worth and feel good about yourself yeah so to start feeling good about yourself you start doing things that align with who you are because the, fur- the things we do that don't align with us, the more we do that, the further it pulls us away from where we are, the more in a turmoil, the more we need to drink, drugs, whatever it is, so that to f- uh, get peace from that pain. Mm. And then that causes more pain, so we just keep that cycle going. So when we start to do little things that feel good, you actually think, hey, that's, you probably don't even think about it, just feel it. Oh, that feels good. You start thinking a little bit different. So then a thought produces a feeling. If it's a better feeling, your thinking's better. If your thinking's better, your feeling's better. So you start progressing and you do these little things and they add up. So I start, just gave up smoking and started running, but then it's turned into a whole lot more. There's the gym, there's meditation, there's breath work. There's all these things that I seriously said, I will never do that crap yeah. in my life. <laughs> my mum said years ago, I said, I'm not doing that fish slapping weird crap. What are you talking about? <laughs> what, what the hell can that possibly do? But what meditation does is it actually, because what, what our problem is most of the time is we think something so we want it. In our in our mind, and then but our body shuts shuts shutters. It's like shutter. Like, okay, I want an abundance of money. I'm worth that. In your mind, your body shutters. You feel it. So you've got a disparity between your mind and body. Medi- what meditation does is allows your body and mind over time, like trying to train a monkey to sit. You get your body and mind working together, and then you're powerful. You're not. You, you're working together. You're in alignment. You're mm-hmm. not. Your, your feelings and thoughts are in in alignment. So when your thoughts and your feelings align, well, things are easier because you're moving in the way you want to go. Yeah. Alignment is such an undervalued mm. aspect of life. I know when I'm living in alignment like now, things just happen for you all the time mm. instead of to you. Glenn, you've had a similar thing. Can you just give us a brief intro about your transition? And another thing that really stood out what you were talking about was that identity and how we'll get to standards later, but your identity, how that changed. Because you went from like, being significantly overweight to them starting to be a PT after hitting your version of rock bottom. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Um, yeah. So I, I guess like my rock bottom or, or one of my rock bottoms was like, <laughs> just, yeah, everything came crashing down and I got, I got caught for the first time by police. Um, I got, I got caught with drugs. I, I got caught with mobile phone and money. Um, but at the same time when I got caught, um, I got assaulted by police as well um so i ended up with a broken hand um I, w- I was maced i was handcuffed and i was lying in the back of a divvy van just thinking like like what the fuck like i need to change my life this is not what i expected it to be um how did it end up here um and that was probably one of the first realizations that i i guess realized that i needed to change asap or us this you know this is what it was going to be this was the outcome how old were you um, I would have been about 20 yeah. at the time. So I was 20. It was at the start of the year. Um, I was supposed to start a fresh year. Happy New drugs. Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, New Year, New Year. <laughs> new Year, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was like yeah, on the 8th of Jan or something like that. Um, and there I was just lying in the back of Divi Van, um, just feeling defeated, <laughs> really. Um, and I remember that night after I got back after the interviews and all that sort of stuff, I got out on bail and I remember all night I was tossing and turning. I'd go down, I'd lie to one side and I was all bruised up and my hand was all mangled. And then I'd try to close my eyes and my eyes were just stinging from the mace and I was just, I just couldn't sleep. And I was just thinking, I need to change my life. I, I can't keep doing this. Um, you know, and, and, and this is, this is shit. So that was definitely one of the, I guess you could say, rock bottoms for me, um, getting my life on track. Um, six months later after that, I guess, you know, trying to stay focused, um, you know, enrolling to PT. So why PT? What made you choose that? So all, all I remember, you know, when I was getting my life on track is that I used to love doing sports or athletics. I used to love doing little athletics as a kid. I had Victorian records, you know, I, I was really quick. Um and, you know, that's the only memory that I had of, of being good and doing good at something. Um, so I was like, let me just try PT. But, you know, I was overweight. I was 112 kilos. I was very angry. I was depressed. It, it just a little bit more was like, of me was like, yep, yeah, do it. But the reflection of who I was in that moment was like, no, no way. Mm. Um, so I started doing the PT. 
Um, and as I started doing PT, I started losing weight. I started getting healthy. I started getting clean off drugs. You know, my self-worth was raising. My respect for myself was raising. My confidence in myself was raising. Um, and, and life was starting to feel good for the first time in, in years. So six months of that. And then because I was out on bail, I was living at my mum's house and um, I had court for the first time. So six months of getting clean, doing my course. Um, I had court and the very first time when I went to court, I got sentenced to one month jail. Um, And again, that was a big hit in the face where I was like, shit, like how did I, like I thought I was doing everything right. Mm, The test. Yeah, like how have I ended up back here again? And and it was like, it almost felt like a big 360, you know, from getting fit, healthy, everything's good to all of a sudden, bang, first time court. Getting, getting handcuffed and everyone from like in front of everyone in the courtroom, they're getting taken to the back and getting chucked in the cells. Um, never been in trouble with the law before. So this was my first offense. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, you know, and, and it was a very, I guess, eye-opening thing for me. Um, I was just sitting there going, shit, like what do I tell my mom? She thinks I've gone to a job interview. Um, everyone thinks that you know, my life's getting on track and everyone's a little bit more relaxed now. No one's as stressed or anxious or, you know, worried about me. Everyone's like, you know, Glenn's doing good. He's, you know, he's off drugs. He's, he's fit and healthy. Like He's looking strong. He's looking good. And then all of a sudden I've got given this, um, this sentence. So that, that was, you know, those two definitely, um, pivoting points in my life where, you know, um, I had to change, I guess. And then just, um, just yeah, eventually, I guess at the end of that, I got end up getting um sentenced to an eighteen month intensive corrections order, so I had to go to the county courts. Um, so I appealed that first um, charge from the magistrates court, and then I had thirty days to either hand myself in and do my one month jail sentence, or after the thirty days, um, they throw it out. But then I go to the higher courts in the yes, city. Yes, went to county. Yeah, so when I go to county, I was looking at doing maybe three months instead of one month. Um, and all, all I wanted to do was just to get out of there, out of the cells. I was like, I, I, I don't want to do this one month now. I, I just want to get out of the cells. I need to go see my mum, and I need to finish my course. Like mm. literally, that's all I was thinking about. Because literally, the next day we had a really big assessment that we had to do, <laughs> and, and and my Quite teacher, yeah, and, and my teacher, the one that I was talking about, was like, if not, if if you guys don't rock up on that day, then you're failing. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I um, that night I was you know, thinking, do I do I go catch up with friends and and use as much as I wanted to, or do I stay home and and go to school the next day? So I stayed There's home. There's those choices. Yeah, see? yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have the test, which is interesting because I see so many people, and it's happened to me in the past as well. Where you're like, that's it, I've had enough. I'm going to make good choices. I'm going to go down the right path. Mm. And then something always comes up and then like people go, oh, I tried, it wasn't worth it, blah, blah, and they just go straight back to the bad behaviour. Yeah. And you pass that test and you continue to make good choices and obviously you've gone on to do some amazing things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I eventually yeah, went, went to school the next day, um, passed, yeah, passed a test um, and then that I guess that gave me more confidence and then it was more like I guess I put things on the back burner. I was like, I'll, I'll just wait for my 30 days to expire Um and I'll go to the county courts in December. But I guess the risk of that now was, you know, if I did get sentenced to jail, then it'd be over Christmas, it'd be over my birthday, um, stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I went towards the end of the year and I was given an 18-month intensive corrections order mm. instead. So I had to go and see my corrections officer twice a week. I had to do community work twice a week. Um, and then I had to do like drug and alcohol counselling, anger management counselling as well. So it was pretty much a full-time thing for 18 months. So I started my order in 2008 and finished it mid-2010. Mm. Yeah, so... Did you have any challenges like that when you decided to make change your life and go down the right path? Did anything pop up that was like a trigger and where you were faced with that choice? Uh, with the alcohol, everything was a trigger, I think. Um, all my um, friends, and I haven't got rid of any of the friends, but I did have uh, time away from them because um, when I put myself in those positions, um, our environment is is conducive to what we do, I suppose. So um, especially early on, very important to make the environment as um, easy as possible. 
uh, and put the things that you don't want in your life out of your face and put the things you do want in your life smack bang centre of your face so they're a reminder of where you're going. Um, the environment's huge. So, yeah, environments, I changed my shed into a um, gym. So I went from a pub to a gym. Yep. Um, How did your mates find that? Oh, they didn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> no one came no, up no, to no, live? Yeah, no, 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 no. None of them really um, been on the journey, I suppose you'd call it. Um, I still see them, but in a completely different capacity. Yeah. Uh, some I don't see. Um, but um, everything I did was alcohol for my entire life, so from the age of 14. So, well, from the age of 14 started, but it was my entire life from definitely 18 on, was that, that was it. So. How were your relationships with those friends you still are in contact with now that still drink and your main connection through them was when you were drinking? How yeah. was your relationship now? Uh, I suppose uh, it's n- they're, they're, not, they're not on go, as in they're not consistent. Yeah, um, it's hard, isn't it? It's yeah, a, it is. It's it a, is. We're, we're we're in different parallels now. Like they're still friends, and yeah. um, my my best mate um, uh, is he's still drinking, but uh, he's he's my best mate. And if I need anything, if he needs anything, we know we're each there. Um, yeah. We won't lose that bond. But as in what we do together, it's yeah, it's not going out. And we used to have five day test match drinking and stuff like that. And yeah competitions about who could drink the most but so when we talk now the conversations probably don't gel as well as they used to it's funny, or, right? or how we used to think they gelled I'm, they're probably just gibberish but <laughs> we, we understood each other yeah. how about you glenn how about um what happened did you have to cut ties with people when you developed this new life and new identity yeah definitely um i when i was getting off drugs i literally didn't know one person that wasn't using drugs um and because i was selling drugs as well, like I, I hung around with drug dealers. Um, so I, I definitely, when I was at my mum's out on bail, that was just isolation time. Like literally I just kept to myself, um, did my training, went to gym, just focused on my mindset, um, was, you know, spending heaps of time with my fiance, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I definitely needed a break because, you know, the environment that I was in, everyone wanted stuff from me. Um and I, I just couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't be around it. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't let people just take, 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 take. I, it was, yeah, I had to cut those ties as well. Or just put boundaries enough just to have my own time to heal and hibernate and, you know, learn about myself more. So Yeah, it seems yeah. like a rite of passage that everyone has to go through. It's, it's an interesting thing where you become a bit of an outlier where everyone you know is behaving one way and you've just stepped out of that and you've got to rebuild yourself, mm. your your career, your social network, everything. And I wanted to talk about that. Both of you have built your own communities. And I'm a firm believer that a big part of addiction for many people is everyone in that community is suffering in some way. They're all suffering from pain in some way or, uh, or another. And they have that connection that they find. Like smokers, they all hang out. They've got that bond instantly. Are oh, you a smoker, smoker, and they hang out. The same with any drug, alcohol, the works. They've got that link. So connection. And then when people get sober... You know, their friends try to lure them back in to, you know, be part of the connection because they have mm. that relationship, smoke or whatever it may be, and it's, it becomes this issue. So you've actually created a community and so has Glenn. Can you talk a bit about that and the importance of that? Oh, I think it's huge because otherwise you're doing it alone. And um, any time you do something alone, it's very hard because you're doing the things only you know and that's the reason you are where you are most of the time because you're going it alone. So community and, and feeling like you belong, I mean, they're two things that we really need as a person is to, to be part of something. And that's what we're all looking for. And I suppose with um, alcohol, with uh, drugs and all those, that you find that community and you actually feel like you belong. Yeah. So when you feel like you belong, it's very hard to get out of there um, uh, and uh, to understand that there is another place you can belong, a better place. That So creating something um, – and, and it's – do you find it's hard to get people in still, Glenn? Like it's this, that anxiety, people are anxious about change. Mm. I mean yeah. Yeah. change is the unknown, so people fear change. Yeah. But what I want to say is the only time you're going to go forward is if you step into that fear yeah. because otherwise you stay where you are. Every every mm. it doesn't matter what the change is going from alcohol to non alcohol. It's, it's it's fearful because it's change. It's yeah. something different. It's unknown. How am I going to react? How am I going to respond? How can mm. I talk to people? What am I going to do? It's uncomfortable. Where will I go? Who will I talk to? Like all these things come up. But if we step in, we realise it's not as big as what it was. So if we can create comfort in the places, and I, I use food, I suppose at, at mine because you don't eat anything. No, no, I don't eat. I sit there <laughs> cooking while I'm while while, while, I'm, while I'm in. Um, 
uh, what do you call it? Fasting. Yeah. I'm standing there cooking like today, cooking bacon and eggs on the barbecue car. <laughs> Jeez, that looks <laughs> for good. Your family. Yeah, no, for the for the community. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Men's group. So yeah. I find that food helps. Um, I, I find that. Um, bringing a friend along, like if they if they can relate to somebody else, um, if yeah. it's a comfortable environment, if if people have to walk through um, closed doors and stuff like that, that actually stops people. If you have mm. the doors open, it's a little bit more inviting. Because I know for me, I'd be going, "Is that door open? Should I be coming through this door?" Yeah. Like, like all these anxious things, like I don't think I should be coming to this. I oh, should I? Should I? Should I? Should I? Yeah. And you go, it's crazy in your head, and you walk away. Mm. Um, so I want to make it as comfortable as possible for people to come in, and then once they're in there, make it comfortable. So I think. That's yeah. probably the biggest thing for me is finding ways to make it comfortable for people to step in because yeah. it is a big thing yeah. to step into a to change. Community. Yeah. So, yeah. Glenn, how about you with connections? And you know, you've built another community with the Youth U program. Yeah. How how did that come about? And um, what do you sort of try and cultivate there as a community? Um, so, it, I, I guess it came about because you know, like I was saying before, my community before getting my life on track was just all all drugs. And, you know, people using and just getting up to, you know, stupid shit. Um, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, creating, when I was creating this community, it had to reflect my values. It had to reflect in the direction that I was heading in. Um, it had to reflect everything that, that I that I needed um, in, in order for it to be kind of, like, successful as well. Um, so, you know, it's it's like when, when people come and sign up to, to the program, like we we have to we have to vibe you know for it to, to work because we're working together for ten months so you know and and I want it to be enjoyable as well so you know they've got to be into their fitness they've got to be into their their sports and and learning about themselves and growth and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. um, there has to be some sort of I guess um, need or match for them to you know like I love this I want to be a part of that yeah um, and and like what Jason said like sometimes people come and they're anxious and I literally you know the the gym or the space that I have that I run the program I just treat it like it's my house so like if someone came in my house it's like yeah come in like you know this is that that, that. do you want to drink you know take a seat you know shoot some hoops whatever and and I'm like very very um, making sure that that person's comfortable. And I tell the people that work in, like that have worked with me in the past is whenever someone walks through the door, treat it as if they were stepping into your house, Um, you know, and make them feel warm, welcome, comfortable, all that sort of stuff. But community um, is, is really, really important. You know, you've got to value each, each member, know who they are, know their names, know them as a person. Um, It's not just, you know, a, a number like each person that comes through the door has worked with worked with me. Like mm. I share my my vulnerabilities and I put my heart on the table, and they do the same as well in our mentoring sessions as well. Um, so there's like there's just that bond that is very very strong. It, it's it's something that can't be you know messed with because you're both sharing vulnerabilities. I'll share stuff that I probably haven't even told some of my closest friends. You know, yeah. in terms of you know, my, my headspace and how I was feeling and what was going on for me on another level and same with them. So there's there's always that um, depth to, you know, the community, the relationship and the people that, that come in because you're, you know, you're, you're helping each other. So you, you have to know them fully, um, I believe anyway, to to really, I guess, get, get into that person's heart. Yeah, it's so. amazing. And no one's going to grow without feeling safe. So I think mm. the first thing we need to do is make people feel safe yeah. because then they're open to, to whatever there is. So safety. I was actually – both of you are 100% correct. I was looking at a study that they had. It was on deep rest, but they were talking about people that were doing contemplation practices like meditation, breathwork, things like that. And it was about the key elements that help people go from a heightened arousal baseline to a lowered arousal baseline. So they're basically in a rest and digest state as opposed to in a moderate to high stressful state. Now, when they're talking about yoga studios and councils and things, they were saying stuff like incense and candles and the dim lights and the nice pictures on the wall and the fact Mm. that the person meeting them has a big smile on their face and speaks in a calm, safe tone. All these things make the space safe and they add to the experience that you can't get from just YouTubing yoga or something like that. It doesn't have the same effect. Same as if you're meditating in the middle of the city when there's streetlights and little traffic, it's very hard for you to not be scanning for threats. But having that safe space that you're both providing to people is uh, is amazing. So 
how do you create safety? Obviously, a couple of things we just spoke about. How do you get people to feel safe that, you know, they don't feel like they belong? They feel like they belong with all the addicts or whatever it may yeah. be. I, I think being relatable is huge. Um, I think mm. if they know your background, because they know what they're feeling you may have felt and you can understand, you don't have to go explain it. Mm. So I know how, how much anxiety I'd go through. And I, I, I look at it and I really challenge myself to think, would I have ever walked into something like what I'm in? Mm. Like, would I have walked into my community? I, I don't know. So I try and look for ways to think, well, how would, how would it have helped me to get into this place? How, yeah. how would, because I was always wanting help, but would I have, gone to a place very like like you think about how anxious someone must be to walk in yeah. not knowing what they're coming into who it is so i'm very open on facebook about what it is and and show what we do so then people can get a bit of a glimpse from outside and then walk in but i think being relatable and, and knowing that you've lived it um i think that's a huge part of it as well just to help people to understand well hey they understand what's going on yeah. They don't might not understand exactly what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, but they've been in a similar situation, and mm. I feel comfortable with those people. So, I think that helps. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and yeah, it, like even just accommodating for them as well, like seeing where they're at. Like I'm not gonna, especially when you're first meeting someone as well. If if, if something makes them anxious or whatever, just being very accommodating mm. to their needs because it's a collaborative effort or it's a collaborative thing that we're working on together. So find out, you know what what works, um, and just being like really, really laid back. Um, <laughs> How you come across that way all the time, man. <laughs> I've got to work on that one. <laughs> yeah. but, then, but then you, you get people who have been as advocates, so people go away and say, hey, and that's what happens now, mm. probably you too, like guys from men's group, people from youth group and people that just come and drop in, they then go away and say how comfortable they feel yeah. and what they get out of it. So then people go, oh, I'm interested in that. Mm. So I think over time and through being consistent and always being there and not shutting down just because you feel like and say, oh, I'm not there today, but being consistent because we're asking them to be consistent. Yeah. And if we're not consistent, we're not really showing a good pathway, are we? No. So it's about what we do too. So if I'm not consistent in opening those doors for people to turn up, and then I'm telling them, why aren't you turning up? It's a bit of a... Yeah. See, that's that's interesting because a lot of people out there, and I always say this, people have a higher expectation of the local coffee shop than they do of themselves. But you're holding yourself accountable because it is for a higher purpose and you can't expect anyone else to be consistent if you're not going to be. So those are great values and I know both of you are embodying those things. So in terms of the development of the communities that you both made, did you make what you both needed? essentially, like what you needed before that you didn't have. Is that what you created? That's an interesting – I've never thought of that. That's a good question. Um, when you were I, constructing I def- this, do you think you created my, what you needed? Well, my whole point of doing what I do is because I can't deal with knowing people are in pain when there's another way. Yep. So I guess in that sense, uh, yeah, for sure. Because, But like I said before, would I have gone to this place? No. So, But I would have listened to someone like myself or Glenn – on Facebook and, and listen from afar. Yeah. So then I might have come into it. But, yeah, for sure, I think looking at it now after that question, yeah, um, and I believe I, we are a better man creating that, that space that I would have enjoyed and I would have got something out of yeah. to move forward. It's awesome. Yeah. How yeah. about you, Glenn? Yeah, uh, definitely. When, when I was putting the program together, it was like for me anyway – like what did I need and what, what would the ideal space look like? Mm. Um, and it was like, you know, exercise and gym helped me so much. So, you know, had to be run out of my gym, um, you know, and then it was like, okay, like, you know, I, I want a basketball ring in there. I want, I want good music. Um, yeah. What about footy goals? You know. <laughs> 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 uh, Handball <laughs> You need a boxing ring, man. Yeah. That's the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it was like, okay, like if we were like in terms of like the mentoring stuff, like what would I want? And if it was me, it's like small groups, um, you know, that are tailored for that specific individuals. And, you know, it, it had to be like a, a, a vibe, something that people were comfortable, um, you know, being around, you know, being seen, being heard, you know, all that sort of stuff. So um, I, I definitely – matched it up to everything that I that I needed. Yeah. Um and, and that's that's how I kind of created it as well. Like even on Friday, you know, doing doing the event, you know, I was like it, it needs to be dark. I, I want it to be like, you know, I'm like it's it's gonna be like I want it to be comfortable. I want it to be like that the cinema or something like that. Yeah. With like the laser lights and, and the music and like I just feel, 
yeah, I, I just look at what would make me comfortable, what would make kind of that crowd comfortable, and yeah, just go it was for a that. Real, I've never spoken <laughs> at an event like that, man. It was a really different vibe and yeah. with the dim lights and everything else as well. It was really interesting, mm. really interesting. So but I think uh, I'm I'm also very wary as well that um, at first I was like that, and I, I was. My thoughts were, what would I want, what I want, I suppose, now that we think about it. But mm. I'm also open to what other people, because some people yeah. go, well, that's not for me. Yeah. What else do you offer? So that made me think as well. I'm thinking, oh, right, yeah, there's there's got to be other avenues as well because some people's things don't gel and we're going to look for other things. But that's where we became a resource centre too. So now if mm. we haven't got the answer or what we do doesn't gel with the person, we got um, other resources in our community yeah. and, and, and a lot of partnerships and collaborations going on where we can – and Glenn's, I suppose, one of them. Where yeah. what mm. Glenn does is is not identical and we're not we don't do exactly the same work at all. Mm. So – Glenn's a resource for us and I suppose for you, same. And then we've got all these other resources. So we don't all – we will never have all the answers for everybody. But yeah. we're, we're a place where if it does fit, then you're welcome and come along and, and if it doesn't fit, we'll help you find what does. Well, exactly. I Again, I build a team. I referred someone – I don't know if you heard from him. I can't say his name obviously on radio, but a guy on a project that I was working with, I've referred him to your program. He did buy a ticket but he couldn't attend because uh, of a work commitment. Okay. But uh, I don't know if he's reached out to you or not. But again, you, you start building relationships mm. with people that are doing good things in the industry. Mm. And if it's not all, if it's not specifically what you focus on or is outside of your scope of practice or you feel another person's a good fit, you start referring people. And that's why I love having both you on today because you're both doing amazing work. Mm. So I wanted to ask this question. What are the things that people aren't thinking about? Because – I'll use the title of Glenn's book. I'm probably going to butcher it, but I'll give you the basic gist. About, I quit drugs, now what? Like that thing, everyone just thinks it's as easy for those people to quit alcohol, to quit mm-hmm. drugs, whatever it may be, but they don't realise that there's so many other issues like trauma, like relationships, all these other factors. What are the things that people aren't really considering when it comes to addiction or poor mental health? What they've been through, their their story, mm-hmm. who they are as a person. Um, I, I, I look at a lot of the the ways people manage these things and where we go to, it's a one-size-fits-all, they try and say, and it's it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all because mm. we're all different. We've got all, all our own. We might, we might have 10 people that are alcoholics, but it doesn't mean their story is the same and they've chosen alcohol because their story is the same. Yeah. So I think that's very important to find, and Glenn touched on it before, about who the person is. We want to know who that person is. Who are you or who were you? Who were mm. you before this, this addiction grabbed hold of you or before life got too big on you? Did and you run or play sport before when you were younger at any point? Yeah, yeah. I've, I, and going back to the roots, so when I I looked, I only realised recently that I actually absolutely loved running as a kid and I yeah. wanted to be Carl Lewis, right? Yeah. And I used to run out the front of our house, I think it was 16 metres, and I used to time it and then times it by however much it was to get to 100 and say, geez, I'm not far off Carl Lewis, <laughs> yeah. right, as a kid. <laughs> I was a long way off, clearly. I, don't know what I, was. <laughs> yeah. I look now and then... I'd be away with mates uh, drinking and uh, away on work trips and stuff and just wipe myself off and I'd be driving the next day in my van. I probably shouldn't have been, to be honest. Sorry, tells her. Um, and I'd be driving, right? And there we are. There's a bloke running and I go, does this idiot not know there's a car? Does he not realise there's cars? I yeah. was actually that, – that jealousy actually shone a light that I wished that was me, obviously. Yeah. Mm. So I was big on football, um, big on running, all those things. And you're doing them now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, so I'm playing footy again yeah. now at fifth, nearly 50. I'm holding that, I said. Um, I predicted that just based on Glenn reflecting about what he enjoyed before mm. he became an addict, mm. like, the, you know, running in sport and stuff like that, and you are crushing it, and you had the same experience, and you both turned to that mm. when you got out of it. Yeah, without even realising. But the thing is, if you ask anyone with mental health challenges that's got too big or addiction, you ask them what they enjoy, they say nothing. Yeah. And what did you enjoy? And still nothing. Mm. And then I love what Glenn does because I was in one of his workshops that he's run a smaller one at our hub is gets you to delve into, well, hang on, what was it when I was a kid? Because when we do things as a kid, they actually align with us because we're not we're not um, looking at them in a different light. We're just doing them because they feel good. Yeah. So as a kid, if we can look back on the things we did as a kid, they were us. That was who we really are mm. before the world got hold of us. So now that I'm doing these things, uh, like the running of that, it actually just I feel home. Mm. I feel like it's me mm. and it sits so well. So when I do more of that, I feel good about myself. So then I want more. And then I, I start to align with who I am. So then when there's not, when the pain starts to subside, there's no need for the alcohol on that because that alcohol or whatever it was was to get some sort of peace somehow. But unfortunately, the peace you get grows the pain. Mm. 
Yeah. So you get temporary relief and that's all it is. And it actually exacerbates the pain and keeps us in the very thing we're trying to get out of. And then all of a sudden I was drinking to get away from the problems drinking was causing. Yeah. Not just from the thoughts in my mind. So it's funny, isn't it? It is a, yeah. that mm. trap that you fall into. Mm. In terms of vulnerability, you're both very good storytellers, sharing your story, lived experience, uh, mental health advocates, addiction advocates, the works. How did you wrap your head around sharing those stories? Because there is some stigma, you know, in the industry. There's stigma in, in Especially in country like, towns. Yeah, I imagine you were. Like, it's a very <laughs> small population. Like, there's these things. Like, so how did you grasp that? Because so many people out there, even when, you know, we Glenn talked about people identifying as an addict and there's all these issues. And you guys identify that you had a story and experience in it, but it doesn't hold you prisoner now. Mm. You very much move beyond that. And you use it actually as an empowering thing instead of a limitation. Yeah, yeah. So how did you wrap your head around that? Well, the, the, a little bit of a funny story is that uh, when I first got with Kerry um, and things started to sort of get – anyway, there's a story beyond that. But the psychiatrist said to me, hey, you got to stop hiding the fact, right, because I didn't tell him. I just thought he meant come out and tell everybody. So everybody knows, man, they go, hey, I'm Jason, I've got bipolar <laughs> – it's a psychosis, right? I literally did. And Kerry had to say to me, Hey, he, I don't think he meant tell everybody you meet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've gone from trying to hide this in alcohol to just, hey, it's me, I'm Jason, I've got bipolar. Yeah. Like, what the? So, but in all of so I suppose I always, as a, always for some reason, wanted to help people. And um, I had all these crazy ideas as a kid. And then I even wanted to help Ben Cousins at one stage. And while I was drinking alcohol, blind in the shed, thinking about finding out how to get hold of Ben Cousins to help him. <laughs> what were you going to do? Give him a beer? I don't know what I was going to do. <laughs> but I was researching how to get hold of him because I'm going to say yeah. And I'm pissed as 10 men in the shed. You know those ideas you come up with? Yeah. And I save someone I can't save myself. Yeah. So, but, uh, <laughs> so I always wanted to help people. And I couldn't. I mean, if you can't help yourself, how can you help other people? You're not really yeah. giving that good advice, are you? And no. if you are giving advice and you're not living by it, you're lying and you're not mm. true to what you're saying. So always wanted to. So when, when I started to find a way, Kerry and I decided, hey, there needs to be support out there, not only for me, because Kerry had never known anyone with mental health challenges and addictions before me. So, Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like, I know so or she, many she would, but she didn't recognise yeah. it. Yeah. Right? She didn't understand. So she said, well, people out there, not only the people living it need help, the people that are supporting mm. people living it need help. There's nowhere for them to go. And the stigma is huge. Like you, Kerry wouldn't go and speak to friends or her family and say, hey, Jason's done this, this, because some of the things are out of the well, – I mean, I'll talk more about that one day, but some of the things I've done are just crazy. It's like with psychosis. And yeah. So she, she's not going to go to her friend and say, hey, hey. Jason, Jason did such and such last mm. night. What do I do? Like, so she felt very alone, very alone. And it worries me how much alone these people are. So she wanted to create, which I love it, she wanted to create this support group that wasn't just for people living with mental health challenges and addictions, but people who mm. support those yeah. living with, because it's huge. So we decided to do this one-off, uh, not one-off, uh, every Tuesday support group, and it just grew. Um, and I got more comfortable telling my story. But then it got to a point where I felt like I was moving forward, but I was keep living in the story by telling it. So because I hadn't healed, yeah. I was doing all these things in the process to heal, but there was, I was still a long way off. So I was re-traumatizing myself, telling this story, mm. telling this story. I ended up getting into a really bad state, and I had to reach out to a mate, Dave, which I spoke about. Yeah, um, he's going to come on the podcast. Yeah, cool. as well. And I, I reached out, and he got me on the keto diet. But mate, the, at first. The stigma is huge, but I wanted to break that because I hate people hiding because that's mm. what I did all my life. While we're hiding, we're mm. drinking, we're doing all these other things yeah. and we're not comfortable to come out and we're not telling people how bad we are so we get to a point and we're losing people. Do you reckon that habit comes from the addiction itself? Because you have to hide it from modern society, like from work, from all these things yeah, like that. Yeah, but I think if, mm. I think it's because you hide the mental health challenges because there's always, there's always something else going on beyond the addiction. Yeah. That's the thing. Mm. Uh, let, let's not look at what the addiction is. Let's look at why the addiction yeah. We, we look at, oh, he's an alcoholic and rate it different to he's a, a, a heroin addict. They're, they're not. They're, they're all to escape something. Yeah, coping So let's strategies. look at why hmm. the addiction, not what the addiction. Because what the addiction doesn't really matter. It's how we, we want the person to heal and find ways. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, and it's definitely not drinking and drugs and, and running yeah. amok. Mm. So if we can help people in that way. But I just wanted to share my story because I can't deal with people living how I lived in pain when there is a different way yeah. and a better way. And that's that's solely what I did. So, but in small country towns, there is stigmas. There's stigma everywhere. Yeah. But when you're seeing the same people 
all day every day and I'm across the road from the pub in the shop that's where we were waving going here I am mm. old JC Loopy over here with my bowler yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's where I used to be drinking piss now I'm over here saying hey you know so yeah, yeah it's um I felt very vulnerable but in saying that I felt good that I was able to use what I've learned and like I said in, at Glenn's um event I don't do it for sympathy. I don't do it for, to say I'm I'm worse off than you or my story is bigger than yours because that's that's not what it's about. There's, we don't want to be comparing people's stories because then mm. you take away what it is for them. Yeah. What we want to be doing is sharing our stories so people go, hey, if he can do that, then maybe I can give it a go. And Oh, he's even given some tools and strategies to use. How cool is that? He's yeah. not just telling his story to say, hey, look at me, an ego thing. He's telling my story so I can – and giving these ideas and, and showing up consistently – and sadly in this industry, there's a lot of people behind the screen of Facebook saying how amazing their life is mm. and telling things that they're doing, but they're not actually doing them. And when mm. you meet them face on or, or in reality, they actually, you know they're not because what you do in private, you see in public. So if they're not doing it and then they're exposed, that takes away, like that, that hurts people. Mm. It's, a, it's a hard one because even when I was younger, I was preaching health and fitness many years ago and I definitely wasn't living a life in alignment with that. Mm. And you just feel like a fraud. Yeah. You, just, you feel mm. like there's that stress. Glenn, I know when you were talking about at the speaking event that you had, how people started introducing you as an addict and you were like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and you'd written a book, uh, which I'm yet to read, but yeah. can you explain a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, after I wrote the the first book, uh, Drugs Don't Discriminate, I just went on touring, went touring around Australia, and um, a lot of people that I guess come out of rehab, um, NA, um, you know, rehab programs or whatever, would always come introduce themselves to me as as a drug addict. Um, you know, they'd, you know, they're like, hey, I really love your story. My name's whatever. Um, I'm you know a drug addict of ten years but I'm not using drugs anymore. Um, and this would happen a lot. And to me, I always just thought like, why would you be like, I was, was going to be like, what? Like, why are you calling yourself a drug addict if you said you haven't used it in 10 years? Um, I, it just was never in my vocabulary. Like literally it was no, like never heard of that label. No one ever called me that. Um, it was only till I started doing this work that, you know, I was introduced as Glenn Monso, you know, drug addict and all this sort of stuff. And, um, it, yeah, it, it just, I was almost a bit like, what? Like, you know, I felt, felt you know, just mind blown a little bit. And I was just, I, I wanted to question that, you know, why are we still calling ourselves a drug addict if we're no longer using drugs? So, you know, in, in my second book, it's like, you know, whether I'm using drugs or whether I'm not, still call me a drug addict. Yeah. So I'm um, saying, hi, I'm a human, former child. Like yeah. It's a, like it's <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, it just, um, you know, if, if the goal is to create freedom um, and to release the baggage, then I think that part needs to go, um, you know, because I think sometimes we hold that as a limitation or it's baggage as, to, as the reasons why we can't move forward, as the reasons why we can't do specific things. So yeah, um, I know all the people that I've worked with, um, they know the reason why they have success is because they've let go of that. That label. Yeah. Even um, the labels set such limitations and not just as an addict, but you were talking, Jason, about you know bipolar and mental health disorders and you had to let go of those labels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think anything with a label comes with instructions on uh, like a how-to. Yeah, and you get all the symptoms, mm. don't yeah. you? Like, we, they we all actually, come. We actually, and I, like I said, I, I was like a pin-up boy for what those were. I, I ticked off all those all those. Did some of them come after you got the label? Oh, for sure. Yeah? For sure. And I, I think um, I lived in it, lived by it, and um, I actually identified as that. And when you identify as something, mm. well, that's what you live by. Yeah. So yeah. labelling, I don't like it at all in, in any way, unless you're going to label yourself as peaceful, content. So what do you label you, if you were to label yourself now, what would it be? Peaceful, content, um, joyous, yeah. all those things. Isn't it yeah. funny? Um, I was talking to someone about this the other day about – how when you're thinking about your experiences and what we strive for when we're younger, it's always hectic, chaos, mm. thrills, excitement, everything else is a 10 out of 10. And then you've got, you know, depressed, miserable, bored. It's yep. like a zero. And then five is somewhere in the middle. My 10 out of 10 is completely different now. It's that clarity. It's that connection. Mm. It's that safety. It's that purpose. Clear-headedness, all these things like calm and collected yep. is my 10 out of 10. Mm. And that's how I aim to feel compared to the 
complete opposite that you strive for at a young age. Glenn, something you were talking about, I want to hear the story about, <laughs> briefly, because we are running out of time, but about that uh, the guy that was teaching your fitness industry, because I think it's very important about holding yourself to a higher standard. Yeah. And, you know, what you can actually achieve when you change your identity, how you view yourself. Yeah. And, you know, holding yourself accountable. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. He's, so um, my my cert for uh, teacher, Andrew Reid, um, so he, he was always talking about the standards for the fitness industry. Um, you know, he'd always go on, on about it. He was like, I know this is just a you know, 12-month course, but I'm not just passing anyone. Um, and he was really strict. He said, fitness industry have enough idiots in it. And <laughs> like, it, you, you guys have to work. You guys have to train. Like we had to, like we had to train after each session, after each like class. There was an hour at the end of each class. Yeah. At the end of the day, and we had to, actually had to train. Yeah. Um, and he'd always go on about it. But anyway, so I, I used to, one day I um, got to class, you know, I was just looking for parking. I drove about 45 minutes to get to class. Um, and I got to the class, got to the classroom about 9.03, 9.02, I, you know, just cool. Late. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. Um, so I, I go there and then when I went to open the door, the door was locked. Um you know, when I was trying to open it and he just told me, all right, bye, come back at 10.30. And I was like, what? Like, and he's like, you're late. Anyway, um, the standards that he had for the class was like, you know, the class starts at nine o'clock. So get there before. And if you want to be a personal trainer, you got to be punctual. You, you know, you, you got to do this, you got to do that, all these sort of things. And if you can't do that, then you don't deserve to be in the industry. <laughs> I love him. Um, you know, he's, he's like, I, I still get a laugh from his Facebook now because, you know, those those values and standards for himself is um, is, is crazy. Yeah. Um, Does he, he, he holds himself to a high standard? Like still now, like he was just in New Zealand doing hiking and he was in Queenstown and I said, oh, have you been to Arrowtown? Um, make sure you try the pies there. And his reply to me was, do I look like I eat pies? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's just, yeah, he's just, he's just like, you know, I'd, sometimes I'm like, so is this a joke or is this like, <laughs> what, like, like what the fuck? Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's a crack up. But, you know, that was the first time, I guess, for in my life that I was like, shit, I need to match up to these standards, these yeah. non-negotiables that this guy has for the class or else I'm not going to, I'm not going to pass. So that's something that's a valuable lesson um, that I, that I carry on for myself. How did that impact the standards you set for yourself now? Massively. Like I, I'm, I'm always reflecting um, within my program and, and think back like, you know, if people are kind of like trying to push and, you know, test my boundaries, sometimes I need to reflect and be like, hang on a minute this is the standards, this is what I need for the program and for it to be effective. I I need it to be like this, that, 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 um, or else it's not going to kind of work. So, yeah. or sometimes I literally just, you know, what would Andrew do? Like, you know, like, well, what did Andrew do to me yeah. in that situation? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I come back to that because sometimes when you just want to save everyone, you, you, you cushion boundaries for certain people, but sometimes you just need to, you know, put the standards high um, because that, like, there's a lesson in that for everyone. But I don't think everyone would view it that way. Many people out there would be like, you know, Andrew's a dick. And, <laughs> like, and, they just, and they'd be like, no, it's his fault. It'd be that victim yeah, mentality yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't know my story. Who is he? Blah, blah, blah. But he actually holds himself to those standards. You know, yeah. And he expects everyone else to rise. And since then, it's made you an amazing success story. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, and that's that's what was going through my head. I was like, what the like, why aren't you taking me serious and all that sort of stuff? But there was a, there was a part of me that was like, I'm, I'm going to show you yeah. that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be like one of your like best students to come out of your class as well. Love so. that. Love <laughs> it. How about you, man? Um, in terms of your standards, what changed for you? Because your standards were pretty like pretty much straight out of, like, out of the floodgates when you decided to do your first run. You, you had a standard and you did a few things like 10 marathons in 10 days and things yeah. like that. So what happened with your standards compared to where you used to be compared to how you are now? It was a slow process, obviously. Yeah. Um, I I had no standards for myself back then, uh, obviously drinking, smoking, eating shit and all those things. Um, so it was, it was definitely a slow process. And like I said before, it was building self-worth because I had very little if none. So when I actually started to do things for myself, that's when things started to change. So once I started building that, then it became something 
So it's a, mine wasn't um, a significant event or anything, or I didn't have a Mr. Reed in the corner. We've got to get him on the podcast. <laughs> you have to I, think, I think everybody's going to jump on his Facebook. But I, I think we should I get do, him on. I do remember. <laughs> I'll get him a pie. <laughs> I do remember vividly a coach um, at, 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 when I was a young kid that said we were running to the line and had to tap it and go back, and he said, do not pull up short of that line because if you do, you're only robbing yourself, no one else. Yeah. And that sticks with me. And even now when I run, I run to the line, past the line. I go that little bit. And that sticks in my mind. So these little mm. things that we're telling people, they actually stick even though yeah. you don't notice at first. But that is now, especially now, sits with me hugely. I never, ever pull up short. Never. Um, and I try and instill that in everything I do and what I teach kids. Just mm. go that extra go that little bit extra to push past because I believe that, you know, when you, I don't know, for runners out there, when you're pushing, you're pushing, you're absolutely knackered and you just make the line. Yes, mm. but what I try to do is finish, I try and finish everything strong, as strong as I started yeah. or as strong as I can because then not only do I break over, push over the boundary, I actually bust through that boundary and go, see, I can do that. I actually yeah. finish stronger than I started. And yeah. that's huge in development, I think. To, 100%. We are running out of time. There was other things I want to discuss. I reckon we're going to have you guys back again. But I wanted to ask you, Glenn, and ask you as well, Jason, you're both exceptional leaders in the mental health space, helping people, building communities, connections, speaking, books, the works. Your guys are out there doing your bit. Who was a leader in your life? Or they could have been from the past. You might not have had one, but someone that you maybe know now Mm. that is a good leader to you, like that had qualities you might have modelled or anything like that. Is there anyone that stands out or you didn't have anyone or? Well, like I, I, I just think in that pivotal moment, just, you know, like I was saying with Andrew, like that was the first person that I looked up to that there wasn't a drug dealer in that, in that, yeah. in that mm-hmm. sense. And that was the first time that I was like, fuck, like, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to be strong. I want to be fit. Like I, I want to be doing, you know, cool stuff like that. So that, yeah. that was probably definitely the first one at the start. I bet he had uh, no idea the ripple effect that would come <laughs> on from that. Nah, like, how nah, many people amazing, would be helping? Yeah, yeah, not 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 at all. But um, but yeah, like I, like I, I remember when I was finishing my course. You know, he was like, you know, like I did that because you know I believed in you. Like I knew you could be so much more than mm. what what you were showing up to be. So that's cool, man. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Oh, uh, for me, one hundred percent. The biggest reason on where I'm at is because of my wife, Kerry. Yeah. Um, so, and I would like to model. She's the calmest in Glencoe. Mm. She's so she, they're a little bit similar. She's so calm, <laughs> relaxed. The world can be popping around, and they're just slowly walking. And nothing hits. Just slowly walking through. I'm trying to dodge and weave, and all stressed out. <laughs> and everything's hitting me. And I'm watching, going, "What's she doing right?" So I, I really do model on that. But um, quickly, I'm I'm actually heading to Sydney next Saturday to uh, Billy All's books. Who oh, yeah. I have, and this is huge for me because motivation. Uh, we've got to learn to flick our own switch, but still even now, I have times where I can't be bothered and yeah, I need something outside of me to help me flick the switch. So I turn on Billy Dill's books and he's been with me since the start of my journey and he's coming out from the US and he's in Sydney, so I'm going there next Saturday. So that he's huge. So when I'm feeling a bit low and I, I flat, I'll flick it on, even though you, my mind's going, don't bother because you don't want to do it. I'll flick it on and I'm out there. So yeah, yeah. he's been he's been really big in, in me and listen to his journey and what he does yeah, I love it and I want to model a little bit uh, and learn from people like that and from Glenn and yourself of what they do so I can be better at doing what I do because I don't have all the answers we don't I'll have um, to check him out man yeah um, yeah I love seeing that it's good that you found someone to you know inspire you mm. and you're going forth and inspiring other people so it's yeah. amazing uh, it is brief. We are we do not have time to cover other things. We will have to cover you back to talk more. <laughs> but uh, I've really enjoyed it, guys. Love it. Where can they find you? Obviously, Better Mental uh, Youth You Program. How can they find you, Jason? You can just give us a quick yeah, yeah um, on what do you call it? the website thing? That's uh, Better Mental <laughs> <The> interweb, Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, Instagram. It's all Better Mental with double L, so you'll find it. Yeah. There's a couple of Facebook ones and. Yeah. Website is it a website? Yeah, website. Yeah, it's new. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Or How come to you? Trafalgar. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Excellent. How about you, Glenn? How <laughs> can they do, find? I'm going to do a shout out for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Instagram uh, Youth U Program, and then yeah, Facebook just Glenn Monster Youth U Program, and then my website YouthUProgram.com. Awesome. So guys, anyone lots. that's listening, <laughs> anyone that's yeah, it's clearly you know you've got that on autopilot. For anyone that enjoyed this, we're going to have both of them back again if they would like to. I'd love to have them back. 
I'll get you guys to submit some questions. You might have some questions specifically about your journey, maybe about their journey, maybe about someone that you know, something you care about. There's a lot of other things I want to cover and we just simply can't do it all in an hour. So I reckon we'll make this an ongoing thing. So guys, thank you very much for coming in. Really enjoyed the chat. And listeners, I will see you next week. My name is Océane, I come from Martinia and you are listening to Radio Carom. Oi, 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 IGA is shopping nights. IGA where the price is right. Seaford North IGA for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker.